KCSU Stanford. Welcome to the Henry George Program. I'm Mark Molino, and I'm joined by co-host Jacob Schwartz Lucas, representing EarthSharing.org and the Robert Schalkenbach Foundation. This is a show dedicated to finding practical answers to the housing crisis, economic volatility, inequality, and environmental degradation here in the San Francisco Bay Area and beyond. We compare and contrast the ideas of the 19th century economist Henry George with that of both historical and contemporary thinkers. Also addressed are issues ranging from artificial intelligence, automation, and universal basic income to city planning and land value tax, a concept popularized by George. On this program, we are talking universal basic income, UBI, easier to say. Later in the show, in about 20 minutes, we're having a conversation with Matt Chrysaloff of YC Research, Y Combinator Research, with their basic income project. In the meantime, here is a uh, bit of a roundtable discussion about a UBI versus a jobs guarantee between myself and Kedar, who's been on the show several times in the past. Let's just jump into that in 20 minutes. We'll hear from Matt Krisloff of YC Research. This is KJSU. So I'm here. This is uh, Mark Molino here with Kedar. Don't be boring this time. I mean this time. Well, we don't know. Sorry, they're always boring. Yeah. Uh, Kedar's been on a few times before. We're here to talk about something. Uh, maybe sparks will fly. Sounds we, we we maybe disagree on a number we, of things. Yeah, we disagree, but I'm kind of a dummy at the same time. So. Uh, and there was a dummy in different ways. Uh, so UBI, universal, universal basic income, job guarantee. These are the things people are talking about these days. People are talking about, are these the, the tools of the future? Um, is UBI... The, the thing in the future is job guarantee, how it's going to be. I mean, I would say uh, I am I'm skeptical of a lot of ways UBI has been selling, but I, I certainly believe, and this might be a bit strange, UBI is kind of a basic human right. Uh, that, and so I, I think it should happen because it's like morally should happen. You tend to say you were more for a job guarantee. So, yeah, I, I really liked it. So you were the one who introduced me to this idea. Of really? The, you know what people are talking about? Nah. Uh, Did, but, that, well, after I heard it from you, here's you were early. That, I, I'll say that. Okay. It's not that I didn't hear about it from other places. It was it's a couple years ago? The, last summer, I would say. So summer 2016, I think the first time I heard it from you. I, I believe and it like then, started with like uh, Tom Payne. About a couple hundred okay, years yeah, ago. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I wasn't as close with Payne as maybe I should have been uh, back when I lived he was, on, the, he, on the East Coast. He was real early on it. Yeah. But, I, so, no, but there has been definitely like a a, a a recrudescence of this idea, especially here on the West Coast. We're at ubi Yes. Yeah. It, even as UBI sounds like some kind of infection you might get. Well, that's the thing. In so, some, you can know, can I say part. UBI and just like say, okay, no need to explain? It's or like, this... oh, what's wrong? Like you got a UBI? Oh, oh you should boy. drink some cranberry juice. I heard that helps. Like, <laughs> but do we? I guess we still. Yeah, it, it's it's a gross sounding. You know what sounds grosser though? FJG. Oh, I usually say JG. They put in the F before it. FJG. FJ, I, I can't even say FJG, well, Federal the, Job Guarantee. Just call federal. it a job guarantee. That that rolls off the tongue. Yeah, you're you're yeah. talking about a universal basic income. That That's hard as hell to say. Yeah, okay. So uh, so what is... I'm the, waiting for the new UBI phone to come out. Yeah, so 
what is going on with job guarantee? Job guarantee is something to kind of talk about. You know, back it was it was kind of a plank of the of the New Deal of just you know we have shovel ready jobs. You know, no matter what happens, we should not have unemployment. The government will come in and they will employ you, and you can work. Uh, UBI is a new idea, saying, "Hey, guess what? No matter what you do, you get uh, you know a check sent to you." And there's a lot of people fighting over these things on a lot of different kinds of of, of fronts. It is it is a it is it's it's a very disruptive kind of idea, and a lot of different people are getting into it. Uh, you get everyone from kind of the Silicon Valley folks talking about it. Uh, it's been talked about in like conservative circles, back to like Milton Freeman's negative income tax. Um, so I'll, I'll, I will say this is one of the. At, at first, I thought it was great, and I, I, again, when you mentioned to me, I thought and I started thinking about that. I started thinking about like the rise of automation. Started thinking, about, you know, just general macroeconomic trends. Well, it's kind of so the thought, pitch as a, as a full is, yeah, it's people at a certain rate are going to have trouble making money for unskilled labor because at a certain rate, you'll have robots that are just going to do unskilled labor better than anybody. Mm-hmm. That's that's the pitch, right? So, what do you do with these people who have trouble? Making money, you give them money. I think that's kind of the patronizing way to sell it, but that's the usual pitch you get. And on in uh, again, the, when I first heard of it, when I first heard you say it, and sort of I thought about the problem, that really does seem like the only solution. I mean, I, I think you look at the million mile view. Yeah, talk about a future where effectively everything happens automatically. You have a million swarming robots that just invisibly do everything for you. Uh, Insofar as humans are around, and let's just assume they are, uh, and you know the singularity, blah blah blah. Uh, let's no, no, just, no, 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 we're not talking about. We're, we're absolutely not talking about the singularity. Oh, that's a good. Although, rule. although that would definitely make the show less boring. I think we may be talking about tomorrow. Oh, geez, never mind. I take it back. Uh, well, I take it back. Yeah. So it's, it's a let's idea. say the singularity is not happening, and people are around, and but basically labor is is free. Everything is free. You get everything for free. Uh, is everyone going to be rich, or is or is only a few people going to own all these robots, and everyone else is just basically going to be enthralled to them? I think it'll be that. I mean, that's that's. I the, think it'll be that for a long time. That's the big, big question of when you can't even offer your own labor. Uh, are you going to just be like a, a not a third, fourth class citizen, but just like an infinitely low class citizen for just having nothing to offer the world? Or are you going to feel, and I guess this is where I feel on a certain level, if you value the dignity of human life, it is someone's birthright to say that they have, you know, the wealth of, of what comes for free going to them. And that's, I, I guess that's the overall pitch of just saying, wait a minute, is this one of those shows where you guys value the dignity of human life? Well, it, I was not told about. We this. give you the information; you I, make up your own mind. Uh, okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's sometime in everyone's life to make that make your mind up about that. Uh, but I mean, I think you talk about right now. You talk about the future. I I think uh, a job guarantee. Some people say a UBI doesn't work because you know it doesn't really value the dignity of work. And I think this is the really crappy uh, sell on it. Uh, it's the idea that. A job guarantee, job guarantee is the preferable way than a UBI because people got done it. You know, they they gotta. You know, they don't they aren't really a man until they can grab a shovel and 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 work for their living. And it's it's sold in one of these articles as it's a fundamental way to one assert their dignity, 
Two, stake their claim in society. Three, understand mutual obligation to each other. That's uh, one of these articles. It says those three things. I mean, I, I would disagree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, well, how do you feel about the, the dignity argument about job guarantee? I, I don't like it that much uh, because I think most work out there, the reason you get paid to do the work, chances are it's because, you know, it probably sucks on some some level. Yeah, right. well, one big thing is everyone who says this thing, they tend to have a job like writing op-eds, and they're like this kind of... Right. It's, it's like, a, if you get... Like, honestly, writing op-eds is one of the greatest jobs on the planet, right? Like, you get paid to sit around and complain about things. Yeah, it's... it's inc- which is fantastic. It's like it's like being a food critic or something. I think... It's insane that this is a job some people have, because most people just do it just for free. Yeah, I think mo- I think most jobs kind of suck. I think most people come home at the end of the day and they're not like super thrilled to have spent you know eight and a half to nine and a half hours of their day yeah you know essentially allowing some corporate entity extract labor from them um, to and energy from them until the point where you really don't feel like doing anything when you get back home aside from maybe working out a little and then Definitely watching Netflix. Yeah, I mean, so people. I mean, I think people don't really find dignity in their jobs. I guess the it's. I find it very you know patronizing to say, you know, this is this is giving you a purpose in life. Don't you it love does, it? I think I don't. I don't think that's necessarily wrong though. Okay, so well, I, 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 much, I I I just I just wanted to make the point that I think most jobs suck. Yeah, I think a job can suck hard and still uh, give someone a sense of. You know, hey, I got a reason to get up tomorrow. Uh, you know, hey, I'm like I'm working. I deserve things now because I work. I, I get this feeling of I'm contributing to the world. Um, I don't feel like a like a, a mooch. Well, I would say you say like feeling like a mooch. I would say the argument. I think it's still patronizing, but possibly a bit true. There's a large amount of people who don't react well to retirement. There's a lot, mm, a lot of people. Yes, yeah, that's true. The, it, just the lack of structure. Uh, there's people who, you know, you could say they go on disability and they and they just feel kind of a. Uh, they play video games all day. I mean, people say video games have been like an out, you know, replacement for for working for a large amount of, kind of, underemployed populations. Uh, yeah, and it's it's uh, it gives people structure. And I, maybe you could say there's people who deal well with unemployment and people who don't, uh, not you know necessarily looking at the, uh, you know the finances of it. So yeah, so here's here's a here's a nice way to sum up sort of the opposite argument where you're saying and says you know, uh, but the UBI misses the way in which this is from an article by uh, William Darity uh, and other folks from from Duke. Um, and he says, the UBI misses the way in which employment structurally empowers workers at the point of production and has, by its own merits, positive dimensions. Uh, yeah. So I don't know about the positive dimensions thing. I think you're skeptical of that. I certainly don't know about this empowering people, uh, empowering workers at the point of production. I don't think just because you have a job that, that necessarily empowers you in any way at the factory. In fact, eh, I think the opposite might be true. Well, I mean, I think if you imagine, you know, all of the citizens of the country are like the children in a family. Do they get their allowance only if they do their chores? Or do they, you know, get their allowance just for the fact that they are, you know, part of the family and and valued in that sense? And you make the argument, you have to do your chores. It's the idea that 
You know, you can't be a lazy little child and still get your thing. We don't like lazy kids. Um, are there? Are there? Just as an aside, are there families where you just get an allowance for being alive? I mean, I think I think the idea is you're in a family. You should actually care and 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 pull together and help the family out. I think it's I think it's kind of weird and erotic if you say let's look at your chore chart. I think the idea, yeah, you get two bucks a week, whether or not you really, you know, and you say, hey, you you do your best. I think if you don't do your best, you you maybe you should feel bad about it. But I think the question is, does your family re- really depend upon your labor to function? Like, are you a necessary part of the family enterprise? And if you talk about, like, what is the point of, like, how economies are structured, uh, where, you know, you move from a hunter-gatherer, you know, uh, type of tribe, where everyone just kind of, no one gets a salary, then later you organize everyone to doing different jobs through different wages. Um, and that's that's kind of what it is. There's a certain amount of work to do. Who does which work? How do we decide it? We decide it through wages and 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 money being paid from person to person A to person B and so on and so forth. And and when you get to the point that suddenly you turn on a faucet, everyone is getting a lot of wealth, and they don't really have to work that hard for it. Well, what what do you do with all this wealth? It kind of just happens. Let's say you just kind of have a bunch of robots that make all the wealth. You know. Now you don't have the wage system to determine who gets what anymore. It just kind of is flowing out. Who gets it? And that's I think that's the big long-term question. Well, I'll tell you question. who gets it. The people who own the robots and people who make the robots get it. But Probably you, the people who own the robots and employ the but robot But let's say get to the point that you have robots that make robots that make robots. Like, just robots are cheap. Okay, yeah, but we're we're pretty... Uh, we're pretty far away from that, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that the I when things get cheap, not only... Does the output of capital get cheap? But capital gets cheap. It becomes easier to kind of make all this stuff. And I think that's like the really long-term thing of, you know, will you just get infinite stuff? Is everything going to be, you know, next to free? I think there were these stories recently, like Zuckerberg took a trip to Alaska and he came back and he was talking about how great their permanent fund dividends are. I'd love to talk about that. We talk about this on the program a lot. Zuckerberg taking trips to Alaska? I wish I talked about Mark Zuckerberg more often. No, and I'm talking about the Alaska, uh, you know, citizens' dividend. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, <laughs> I, I want to know, uh, like, like who did he talk to up in Alaska for so long that they convinced him, or did he go there already thinking that was a great idea and just came back and said, "Oh, well, guess where I was." My my eyes have been opened to this permanent fund dividend, UB, you know, baby UBI, uh, going on up there. Well, I mean, I I, th- I think from a from a Georgist perspective, th- the idea is really clear why it's why it's cool, because there are natural resources which are going back to the people at large. That's that's kind of the dream. But here's the thing. I mean, you talk about should you get a check for it or should it go into different things. I guess an argument for the UBI is every time you get a public good that's kind of that's open to the community, these are all kinds of UBI. When you get public parks, when you have public schools, when you have any yeah, kind really, of you're really broadening the definition. Well, I mean, I I, th- I would say, but these are universal programs, and I, I mean, a lot of people on the left, and this is the thing of saying, do you want to one, you know, limit what the government spends on? 
uh, and two, kind of commodify everything, saying, hey, you know, you shouldn't have public parks. We should have parks you pay for, and everyone gets money to, to, for admission at the park. I think that's what people are afraid of. Is that? Oh yeah, yeah. That that that's something else I would not want to see. Absolutely not. I mean, and I that could happen under a UBI system. I think if you say that the only point of the government is to write you a check and then you can buy stuff, yeah, I think that is a pretty uh, a system with incredible negatives for a lot of sense. But let's be honest, some of these libertarian leaning people who have supported the idea, I think that's sort of the utopia that they imagine. Yeah, I, mean, I think a lot of these people are basically pretty illiterate on really what makes markets work in uh, declining cost industries and natural monopolies. When you have a public park, for instance, it is simply not efficient to charge admission. Uh, it it actually makes a lot of sense for to make things optimally efficient. You should charge people the marginal cost of them entering the park and walking around, and that is close to zero. You know, so at the idea of optimal efficiency, something like walking across a public park or using a public, you know, sidewalk should be zero. It is not better to have a bunch of toll roads everywhere. It's not more efficient to have, you know, admission for every single, you know, bit of a, of a public good you consume. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that, that worries me about that. Well, it just the fact that it, this idea gets support from so many different corners also... At first, I thought, well, this obviously means that this is the right thing to do because everyone thinks it's a good idea. That's maybe part of it. But at the same time, well, uh, well, now I would say maybe a few months later, I've started to raise an eyebrow uh, when I see so many rich people so eager well, you have people uh, to who support just, this idea. Even and, people who are just on the right, people like Charles Murray and, you know, I mean, historically folks like Milton Freeman, you know, folks are on the right – I've tended, you could say, like, oh, maybe it means that they even have their soft side, but you could say it might be part of an idea to say, let's limit the role of the government. Which I, I would say this. I mean, I, I love markets when they work, uh, and I think that there's something to be said about there's places markets, you know, could move into, but I think there's all sorts of places markets just really don't make sense for natural monopolies that can be administered by municipalities, for instance. There's a couple there's 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 ways to address this as far as you know efficiency and just technically how it works and there's a moral level. I would say the thing that concerns me the most is the idea that is this money we're giving people? Is this a is this a handout saying, "Hey, you know, it's a lot easier, don't bother me, kid. Here's money, get out of my face." Or is it saying, and I think this resonates with the most, this is not a handout. This is money they're entitled to. This is already their money. When you draw it out of something like the Alaska oil dividend, this is a bunch of crude that comes out of the ground. No one, you know, really made this. This is natural wealth. And why shouldn't everyone get a cut of it? It just makes sense. You talk about a city, for instance. You know, people talk about, I don't want to go to Alaska for its oil revenue, but you talk about a city and, like, the just... You know why everyone shouldn't get a cut out of it, though? Like... I don't know what the hell people are buying with their Alaskan. It's not know, much money. I was like, what? Are, what are people buying? It's like, oh, I got went to Walmart and bought a new teddy bear. Like, I, I, like, I mean, it helps low on the margin. What's, what's popular in Alaska? Like, drugs. I don't. I don't know. Like, but what I would say, like, let's say you live in Manhattan. Imagine if you had all the you know wealth 
of the of you know the natural wealth that that goes into Manhattan, if that was distributed to people either directly or indirectly, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, and I think they would really appreciate it. They live in a city, and the city basically pays it back to them. Why shouldn't, for example, like the subway be next to free? So I would say the real core of the UBI is not really the whole money aspect as much as the idea that you shouldn't have to kind of work just to survive. You know, the idea is we have had so much progress that everything should be just close to being free. You should, like, every, like, it's, that's what progress is. You say that Keynes uh, had said that by 100 years in the future or something, um, or maybe by earlier than that, people will be having 15-hour work weeks because we'd be so much more efficient. In a lot of ways, we become so much more efficient, but we still work all the time, and what we pay just to live costs about the same. And I would say a large part is we're bidding up positional goods like land values, and such as you know the positional goods that we have in our elite academic systems and all this. Uh, and that's that's a big part of it: education, healthcare, housing. Uh, yeah. So I mean, we don't have the idea that when we're more efficient, when we're going to the fact we can work less. We're not seeing that. And I'd say the real pitch to the UBI is as things get more efficient, if we all pitch together and really make things work better, maybe we can all, in aggregate, work less. Then don't call it UBI. Call it democratic socialism. Because that's what you're talking about. Well, I mean, I, I would say what's important to me is the idea... And this is, I guess, quoting Martin Luther King when he talks about a guaranteed income. Uh, he quoted Henry George uh, from Progress of Poverty, uh, and he said, The fact that the work which improves the condition of mankind, the work that extends knowledge and increases power and enriches literature and elevates thought, is not done to secure a living. It is not the work of slaves driven to their task either by the lash of the master or by animal necessities. It is the work of men who perform it for their own sake, and not that they may get more to eat or drink or wear or display, in a state of society where want is abolished, work of this sort could be enormously increased. So that's a quote from Henry George made by Martin Luther King. So that was uh, a bit of conversation about UBI versus a job guarantee. We will turn to that later in the show, but for now, as promised, we are speaking to Matt Krisiloff of Y Combinator. Matt Krisiloff manages the basic income research being conducted by Y Combinator, a Silicon Valley seed accelerator. As part of its nonprofit YC research, Y Combinator is designing a long-term study to distribute basic incomes and understand the positive or negative impacts basic income might have on a U.S.-based population. He had previously worked at Y Combinator with its experimental YC fellowships. Before working at Y Combinator, Matt co-founded several startups to help, Peter, uh, to help people have better access to therapists and also on using insects as an efficient food source. Welcome to the program, Matt. Thanks for having me. So for people who don't know really, you know, what this whole basic income deal is, uh, what, what's your quick pitch on, you know, what this is and, and why it matters? So basic income at its most simple level is giving people cash unconditionally as a form of safety net. Um, so instead of something in kind like, uh, like a traditional welfare program or like food stamps, which might be restricted. It's giving people just pure cash that they can spend however they want. Um, there's different there's different interpretations of basic income, ranging from the negative income tax, which is means-tested and essentially a tax rebate, 
uh, for people below a certain income level where they would be given cash. Um, and then there's the universal basic income, which is probably the most common concept that's talked about these days. That's the idea of literally giving everyone in the country um, a basic income, uh, you know, ranges from a very small amount, say $1,000 per year to something very full-throated. Some people think up to, you know, $20,000 a year. So there, there are different interpretations of what a basic income is out there, but at its core, it's giving people cash without restrictions. So this made a lot of wave, uh, YC Research, when this was uh, talking about the pilot project uh, last summer, when this is starting to uh, be announced and, and talked about, and now it's looking to be uh, expanded. Uh, can you talk a bit about uh, how this research is being conducted in Oakland and how it's been going? Yeah, so it did, in fact, make tons of waves when we first uh, announced it, and even when we had a relatively mundane update after that. And since then, we've decided... Uh, we don't actually want all of that attention while the study is going on. So for the most part, we've shied away from doing interviews and you know talking about stuff publicly. But we have been conducting a pilot uh, in Oakland that's been going on for a few months now. Um, the pilot is really meant to figure out the mechanics of doing a larger study. Um, uh, our plans for a larger study is to do it in two states uh, rather than in just one site. And we have been using the Oakland pilot to learn how to best do that. Things like how we're going to be paying people effectively, how we're going to track people, how we're going to recruit people, uh, things along those lines just to test our study design. We're not, we're not using the pilot as, as something where we're going to like really tout research results out of it. But so far, preliminary, preliminary stuff seems promising. Um, definitely promising enough that we do want to do the larger study. So what do you think are the biggest questions that are currently not known that you hope to be answering with this research? Well, I think I think it's really unclear what people do with the money. Um, you know, I think a lot of people worry that if you just give people cash unconditionally, they're going to, uh, quote unquote, waste that money, uh, spend it irresponsibly. Um, I think as a short-term output of our study, one of the best things we could show if the results ended up coming this way is that people would use the money responsibly and this type of unconditional cash program is something that we could do effectively in the U.S. I think the longer term question of like true basic income will be you know something that our even our main study is not going to quite answer. Um, I think there's going to need to be more research and more more of an understanding of how to pay for something like that because it would be such an expensive program and such a dramatic shift in you know, how we nationally construct our safety net. But I see this as one of the most important first steps to answering that question as well. So along those lines, we saw something uh, interesting on your uh, on your Twitter feed, and you reposted a, a quote from Sam Altman says, housing should be a place for families to live, not a way for speculators to get rich. And in there, uh, you know, you're basically calling for a, a tax on real estate speculation do you see these two issues as connected at all? You know, I, I think, so the project you're referring to overall is called United Slate. Um, it's something outside of YC Research I'm working on with Sam Altman, uh, trying to recruit candidates that really follow a set of principles we believe in and support those candidates and potentially run a ballot initiative in California as well. Um, I do think they're related in some ways. I think to be, really be able to afford something like a basic income, we're going to have to dramatically lower the cost of living. Um, you know, I think some of that is going to come through technology. You know, take in this example, building houses 
um, more cost efficiently using technology, perhaps for modular apartment building, but figuring out how to lay utilities more effectively and uh, more cost efficiently. Um, but a lot of that is going to come from policy as well. Um, I think, you know, particularly in California, uh, policy could go a very long way uh, to, to alleviate a housing crisis. Um, I think there is a lot of speculation. I think, you know, our, our zoning laws could be refined to allow for more building in certain areas. I think, I think our, um, I think it's far too easy right now to block development in communities for a long period of time uh, using laws on the books such as SECA uh, environmental regulations uh, inappropriately, but just to block development. So, yeah, it's it's. I I, I think these things do go hand in hand in that you know, we have to make progress on cost of living, but I wouldn't say it's directly, directly related to basic income. I guess, I guess one thing that, you know, would be an open question to, to me is uh, when you get more money in the hands of, of a lot of people in a city, the, the macro effects, will this affect the overall rents in a city? And, and the cost of living uh, in urban areas, can this really be driven down if, if uh, you get more people? I, I, do you think that the study will, will uh, do anything to answer these kind of questions? So unfortunately, no, that's not something our study is going to engage with. Um, we're intentionally not uh, funding people in, in small concentrated areas. We're not trying to study geographic area effects of, of, a, of, a, of a saturated basic income. We're distributing it across different areas. Um, that, that was an intentional decision because we wanted to focus on other aspects of the study, but it's possible that that would significantly affect costs. I think, again, if, if we designed other policies correctly, um, it would not have a have a major, major effect. But, you know, it, it, yes, it is, it is introducing more resources into a system. It could have an impact on inflation. Um, but that's something we have to see in, a, in, a, in another study context. Uh, what, what kind of uh, theory have you, uh, I guess, you know, looked at or rested on mostly while, you know, trying to look at the effects and, and, and design of the study? Theory. Could you clarify what you mean? Uh, I, I guess I mean like uh, you know, just overall economic models that have looked at the idea of you know basically a a certain amount of you know extra uh, cash being put into the system directly to people. I don't know if there's any you know any any you know studies models or kind of overall uh, large scale yeah. macro um, models. We, we've looked a lot at uh, the studies that were conducted in the 1970s by the U.S. and Canada uh, negative income tax experiments. Um, they they were similarly constructed studies where, you know, there were some saturation effects, but people were fairly distributed and really concentrated on looking at how people were spending their time, how people were spending uh, their financial resources, their financial security, and then, you know, their subjective well-being over time as well. Um, you know, we feel like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with those studies, but they were pretty impactful at the time. They were being championed in a bipartisan way. It was actually Richard Nixon that, you know, first signed off on doing those studies. Right. Um, but but they really got derailed at the end uh, for, for purely political reasons, I think. Uh, people, people saw that there was a spike in separation rates between couples, um, and work hours dropped a little bit. Not significantly, but they did drop a little bit. And people harped on that as a as a pretty negative thing, and the the researchers were not adequately prepared to defend the better parts of the results. So it really got derailed. Um, so you know we've approached this with a model that if we if we can you know have a robust study that explores similar types of questions and shows similar 
types of outcomes. Um, obviously, you know, we're, 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 it's very important for us to be unbiased with this, but if we do see similar outcomes to what they saw there, we think it would be a pretty powerful example politically for later. Have you looked at um, any of the smaller scale uh, big experiments? For instance, I went to Namibia and uh, there's a small experiment there. There's a church that gives everyone $100 Namibian dollars a month, which, which is about 10 US dollars a month. I slept in a corrugated hut uh, with people there and just tried to see how they lived and whether they actually used the money well. And I think the only um, rule that they had was that the people had to say how they were using money. If they were spending it on drugs and alcohol, they just had to say that. And it seemed overwhelmingly that people really were using the money to start businesses, um, uh, buy vans to go into the capital, uh, send their kids to school. Have you... I. You know, this is anecdotal, and I don't really trust anecdotal <laughs> evidence, but having experienced it directly to myself, it's something. Uh, just wondering if you had, had heard of that and maybe looked into it at all. Yeah, um, I'm not familiar with that one specifically, but we've talked with Give Directly at different portions of the study who have conducted cash transfer experiments in, uh, in Kenya um, and Uganda. Um, and, you know, they've seen very promising results there. They've been shorter-term cash transfer experiments so far uh, under the notion of about a year compared to about five years, which is what we're targeting with our study. But they actually are getting ready to do a much larger uh, long-term study, of a basic income study in that context as well, where they'll be giving multiple villages full basic incomes for, I think, even as long as 10 years, like gearing up for that. So I think that'll be a really interesting complementary study to what we're doing as well. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Um, one of the things that was interesting about the N Namibia big is that uh, people were living quite far from the from the capital of Windhoek, and uh, they were basically living on government land. So when they were getting these basic incomes, they weren't paying any rent, so their rent wasn't going up as a result of of the grants. Um, but yeah, it's it's an open question, and it'll be interesting. Maybe not in this study, but in future studies, if you guys are looking at all at, um, yeah, if if you've got a constrained supply um, and no incentive to to use vacant lots well and things like that, if uh, a lot of this basic income will get recaptured by um, rising rents. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible, and something we'll have to think about. Um, uh, your show is called the Henry George Show, correct? Yeah, the Henry George program. Yeah, yeah. So you know, land a land tax is something we thought about that you know would be very complementary to something like a basic in income being introduced to try and avoid those types of effects. Yeah, um, I mean, so yeah, it's definitely a concern. Yeah, a, a big reason I guess it's of it's we've always been interested in basic income is going back to like Thomas Paine. He he was a you know one of the first people to say that there should be a income to all people, and he said where where can we pay for this? And he said you could be out of land rents. Henry George said we could have a pension for all and no other taxes. And uh, yeah, MLK back when he was promoting a basic income in the late sixties uh, drew heavily upon the writings of Henry George. So uh, yeah, yep. it's 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 all it's all one big connected network of uh, of uh, antecedents. No, definitely. Um, it's, a, it's an aspect that makes it exciting, especially cutting across the political spectrum with it. Um, you know, it really is one of the most intriguing aspects of, of it to me is just there are people that are left-leaning and people that are right-leaning that are all 
equally intrigued by the same concept, which is just so rare when it comes to social safety net, I think. Um, a couple think, weeks ago, we had a uh, Jamie Galbraith. He's the son of uh, John Kenneth Galbraith. And I was surprised to hear Jamie say that he thought that the basic income was not a good idea. And his problem with it was that he was concerned that um, you know people who were maybe illegal migrants here would uh, not get it. And uh, I think our response was, well, couldn't we give it to everybody? Shouldn't the point of this be to alleviate poverty among all nationalities, not just Americans? How do, how do you account for... for I mean, what's your response to that? I don't expect you to have a great one, but uh, it was an interesting uh, critique. Well, you know, this is where I hope that, you know, I'm coming from world of Silicon Valley and technology background, but I'm really hoping technology is going to have a huge impact in the coming decades to make something, not just in the U.S., but something like that possible around the world. Um, I really became interested in this because I think the rate of technology is, technological change is really accelerating. We're seeing more and more powerful automation technology is being developed. Um, I really do think we'll have artificial intelligence, uh, something that can think like a human in a couple of decades tops. You know, these are types of things that should allow us to create true resource abundance in the world, at least relative to the size of our population. I really think the amount of people in the world are going to plateau not too much further than where we are now. And we should just be able to create resources very, very effectively in a way that, you know, it won't be a big deal to people. Uh, to redistribute a lot of the resources that are created to other people in the world. So, you know, we should be able to have a very robust floor in the future that should be accessible to everyone. That is my hope, and that is my hope, too, how basic income is going to uh, become, you know, an accessible policy if, if it is the actual safety net means that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting to compare the real long-term view over, uh, like, the 1970s studies. Part of their conclusions were, you know, does this you know, make people still have the incentive to work. If it doesn't, it's a failure. Whereas it sounds like your study is less concerned over, you know, the classic models of how people work <clears throat> as much as looking ahead at different ways people can work in the future. I think that's an aspect of it. I think the people we're choosing for the study are, are you know, just regular, randomly selected people. So it, it we, we want to see some of those types of effects of how people are going to you know, when they have that safety net where they don't have to work, um, what they might do to retrain themselves or improve themselves. But, you know, we're not we're not self-selecting for people that might be representative of the type of roles that do exist in the future that might come about. So, and also, as, as far as the studies go, it sounds like this isn't really about studying different finance structures for the UBI, but I know in, in this whole United Slate, uh, a lot of talk about the tax system, and uh, in the slate it talks about trying to move taxes off of income and into wealth. And, and it even says we should consider a nationwide land tax. Land ownership seems to be the fundamental way that inequality builds up over time. Uh, do you have any uh, yeah. comment on how this made its way into the, the platform? Uh, just, you know, longer term, it seems like that probably is the most fair, equitable uh, taxation system. I think, I think, you know, as we go to a world where we should have more and more abundance created by a smaller, a smaller group of people, we shouldn't be trying to tax incomes, um, be be taxing output for work. We should be taxing, you know, the resources that are controlled by groups of people, and you know, we should be encouraging land to be developed as efficiently as possible. And land is something that is essentially micro monopolies. 
uh, for whoever is holding it. And, you know, we should be taking the resource contributions from those people rather than letting resources just accrue backwards to them for rent extraction. Um, so I think, I think especially in California, that's something that could go really far for cost of living, but I think it could make sense as a policy nationwide as well. Getting back to uh, AI, I'm kind of an algorithm enthusiast of, of sorts. Um, uh, and, I'm, you know, there's this there's this concept of algorithm, uh, basically, like resistance. You know, in, in companies, they want to manage things better. And so the idea is, uh, you know, maybe you could entrust some decision making over to algorithms. But even though people know that these algorithms uh, work better, they, they still have a resistance to them. So let's say that, you know, AI told us, oh, you know, X, Y, and Z are the best uh, policies. Um, how would we overcome the <laughs> the political, um, uh, I guess, pushback from that? Maybe AI would have the answer to convincing everyone to trust it. I, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thought. Um, I, think, I think it gets into thought experiments that are really hard to tell to think, you know, if we have something, some type of AI like that, that is really capable, how it actually be constructed, how it actually interact with people in the real world and real environments. Um, we don't know what types of controls would be put on it or what types of controls would not be put on it. So, you know, in short, I think it's, it's really hard to tell what that would be like. So it looks like we're uh, wrapping up on the uh, time you have uh, available. Uh, I guess a question for you is when you find the right kind of answers, you do kind of you know studies like this and, and find out good results, and also you, you find out kind of conceptually better taxes and, and things that make sense, how, how optimistic are you that uh, it will be possible to convince people to, to look at the studies and to you know, look at reason and, and you know, try to make our future uh, you know, follow uh, the, the best path? I'm pretty optimistic if the results are positive. I don't think necessarily it'll start with a full-throated basic income. I think these types of things and progress generally is a gradient that happens over time. So, you know, it might be something like, okay, we'll take the restrictions off of food stamps and just let people have cash unconditionally there and then grow that over time slowly as, you know, hopefully we're becoming a wealthier society. Um, I think, again, going back to you, this is one of those rare ideas that has bipartisan intrigue. Um, that that makes it a promising concept in of itself. So, you know, we'll have to see it's a long road ahead. We really don't even know if basic income is a good thing at this point. I think it's really important to be neutral on that as the study is going on. But if it if it's if it's promising, I'm optimistic that there could be a real pathway there. Do, do we have a timetable on when we might expect uh, exciting exciting answers? From our study, I think we might have preliminary things in about two years. Um, the full study, you know, about to wait for five years. Uh, the inputs in this are really money and time. So unfortunately, there's not a huge way to speed that up. But, you know, on the scale of these types of changes, it's not too, too long. So, well, yeah, it, I was surprised to hear you say it was that short. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we'll we'll have a preliminary sense then. I wouldn't say it's the definitive results, but we'll be able to see some stuff. Well, it's inspiring to see that, you know, there's a lot of big questions out there that weren't being studied since the 70s, and, yeah, YC Research made it happen, and, yeah, hopefully we'll hopefully we'll learn a lot from this. So, yeah, uh, thanks a lot for uh, sharing all the all the, the ideas and news and, uh, yeah, talking to us about the Basic Income Project. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. It was fun being on. Yeah, thanks for being here. That was our interview with Matt Krisloff of YC Research about the Basic Income Project. 
one thing we alluded to during this is kind of the ideas connecting YVT, YVT, <laughs> LVT, and the UBI. Uh, that is to say, uh, land value tax and the uni universal basic income. Uh, so we just made a brief explainer where Jake and I talked afterwards about how these are connected, who that is. So we're going to try a quick explainer on what Georgism has to say, what the classic Georgist theory have to say about UBI. And one big part of it is the idea that land is scarce. There's only so much of a city land to go around. And when you inject more money into it, you'll have just so much land and you'll have more money to go at it. And because this is something that is, you, you can't just cut back and not live on the land, not without you know the agony of being homeless, you're going to have to either pay for it or move. And in practice, this means that it will go up and up and up. We see this in the Bay Area, for example, when more salaries have gone into the high-paying industries and we've had the same amount of units, rents have gone up and up and up. And, of course, the cost of land has gone up and up to, to buy here. Uh, and even if you build more and more, there's still going to be an overall price for an underproved field, and that's going to go up and up. Uh, even people who talk about you know building more they still would say, yeah, it's going to cost more uh, if we have the same tax policy to buy the same land. And if we say, hey, we want everyone to be able to afford to live here, here's more money, what's going to stop it from just saying rents and uh, land? It's a balloon, yeah. Yeah, it's, what's going to stop it from going up? And then one part of that is saying LVT is the only thing that will stop the land from basically being, you know, sucking up whatever it can take. So that's the that's pitch number one. One side is saying LVT and UBI get along because when you inject more money in, LVT will stop the rents and land prices from just taking it all. The other pitch is how do you pay for it? And the quick pitch is, well, one people would say, hey, why don't you just raise income taxes? So, and they say, isn't this kind of crazy? More people are going to choose not to work, and then we tax people who work to pay the people not to work. And that is kind of nuts because it's going to just cause more people not to work. And that's kind of a catastrophe uh, because you lose your tax base and then suddenly you can't pay for it. Uh, it's not saying that, yeah, it, it, it kind of breaks down because you lose the floor you're standing on. LVT has the advantage on when you increase it to pay for UBI, it doesn't go away. You don't get people who choose not to work because the land is doing the work and the land is going to continue to be there. Until we're all in the matrix, we're going to continue to be standing on land in communities that we value and will pay for to live on. And this will be inherently scarce until the point that we don't have scarcity. And if we don't have scarcity, problem solved. You know, so is until the end of time, LVT will continue to be a place we can get UBI from. It will never disappear. So that's the two parts of it. UBI uh, will make sure rents don't go up. If you have LVT to check it. And the other part is we can continue running a UBI if an LVT is the thing that sources it. You put these two things together, it's a perfect circle. It's an, you can call it an Ouroboros, <laughs> if you want to be, uh, I guess, more morbid about it. But yeah, it, it, it works, um, as it, theoretically at least. That's, that's the George's pitch on it's really hard to see how you could make a UBI sustainable without it. So that's what, that's what George has to say.
And finally, to wrap up the program, we'll have part B of the conversation between Kadar and myself about UBI and jobs guarantee. That'll take us to end the show. A lot of people would do more interesting things if they just had the ability to do it. That's okay. That's possibly true. But, yeah. You know, there's the work that we do, you know, on our own time. Like, what do I do? I'm really good at baking bread. Yeah, exactly. So I'm awesome. I'm a great bread maker. I've tasted your bread uh, at least once. Oh, that's it. Uh, I've gotten much better. Yeah. Anyway, but the point is, does it make sense for me to spend my days baking bread? Eh, probably not, right? Well, why do you say that? Because it isn't valued in the marketplace? It's, uh, no, I mean, it is valued in the marketplace. There are people who make a living selling bread. But, I mean, at the moment, right, like, I I could be contributing in, in much more significant ways, given, I guess, like, my education. You could work for a hedge fund. You could work for a hedge fund, right. And you'd really be helping society out. Yes. Well, I would be helping the investors, maybe. I mean, Probably not, actually. But I would still take their money. So there's a portion where you know I was kind of job hunting, not really you know very hard, and I was unemployed, and I put more work into helping this community radio station, KZSU function, KZSU Stanford, Stanford function, and I'll say this: I did not get a single cent out of that, uh, and I did a lot of good work that I think helped a lot of people. Uh, and it probably know, meant a lot to you. It probably it, meant... It did. Yeah. And I guess here's the thing about a, like a job guarantee is the idea, if I was doing that, I don't think they would say, hey, this is one of the things you could do. It's stuff that I was doing. It was work in every way except for the fact that I didn't get money from it. And I think the truth is if I didn't have to worry about these crazy Bay Area you know, uh, you know, prices and everything, maybe I would just kind of do this on an ongoing basis. Well, then why don't you just move back to like I don't know where you're from. They don't have a case issue there. Lorraine. What jobs would actually fall under this jobs guarantee? Because uh, ideally this jobs guarantee exists in this this I, this program would exist in such a way that it would ramp up in times of economic downturn. And then when the, the you know, when the private uh, sector starts doing well again, you know, the business cycle is on the rise again, um, that you would scale back the jobs guarantee program. Which means the jobs that are in there can't be jobs that are really important, right? Because, like... Well, I, if you look at unemployment, I guess people say there's three major components of unemployment. Uh, and the three components are cyclical unemployment, boom and bust cycles that you tend to see unemployment rise when a boom, uh, like, falls to a bust. Uh, and I guess that's what you're talking about there, is that if you have a jobs guarantee, you can fill in the busts, and you should never really have that kind of unemployment. Um, yes. In fact, I think that would... I think that would be, yeah, we haven't mentioned that yet, but I think that would be the best sort of benefit of a, of a FJG. Um, <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Uh, which would just say we would actually get full employment as opposed to the crap you hear on CNBC every day where they're talking about, oh, we're getting close to full employment, which they, were, they actually mean, you know, like there's 4% unemployment, but I guess by... So whatever classical models that yeah. means that we're a full employee. I, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. I think that would certainly be a benefit. Uh, I guess the other parts of unemployment. You have structural unemployment. Structural unemployment is the idea that when industries really change, there's a certain amount of unemployment that happens. When I used to repair typewriters, now they don't exist anymore. And you figure what I do, and that's a certain amount of unemployment as you transition, retrain, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then frictional unemployment is the idea that there's just always people entering and leaving jobs, and there's a certain amount of unemployment in that sense. Um, and I, I guess if you look at structural and frictional, that's the natural rate of unemployment, is what people say. That's what uh, work that Edmund Phelps and Mil- Milton Freeman did back in the 60s was define the natural rate. Oh, Edmund Phelps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, friend of the show. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's the idea. But it's... Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. It's certainly, there's no reason to have cyclical unemployment happen, but I guess you can look even further back on, are there ways to help avoid boom and bust cycles of the economy as a whole? Probably not. Uh, so, okay, fine. Let's tie this up. Uh, are you on the Zuckerberg for president train or not? Oh, hell yeah. That guy's that guy's got, got it. No, I mean, Zuckerberg. He likes your to... UBIs. He's, he's one of the UBIs like you. He's a UBI. I will say, D-I-E. I think it's a really nice thing. I think we should not poison the idea of, of what is a good thing by Mark Zuckerberg's endorsement. Uh, it is a cool thing that Alaska says, hey, look at these oil revenues. Everyone gets a bit of it. Instead, in the place of California, we have a lot of money being made in natural resources such as water rights. We have money being made in land rights. We have money ma- being made in things that they're it, they are not actually producing something. It is pure rent. It is inefficient from an economic standpoint. And I think it would be better if those money was going back to people. It could go back to people through goods, go back to people through you know, a check. I think the important thing is just make sure it goes back to people. And I think it is, uh, I think to look at the idea of Alaska as saying, oh, that's kind of not important, I'd say look at all of the natural resources being siphoned basically away from the community that could go back to the community. And I, I'd say uh, you could get a good deal of uh, a benefit to the public that way. It's, it's, it's their, okay. it's, I mean, it's, I don't it's disagree their with land in the first place. Obviously, I don't disagree with that. I don't know if many people would disagree with that. I would also say that's not really universal basic income. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if that's what it comes down to, I'm not attached to the to the money side. I'm just attached to the idea that it is their wealth. It should go back to them. There's a lot of people who don't get really any wealth at all. The bottom 10% of the population, their wealth is negative. They're in debt as is negative as a whole. Yeah. What? No, no, no. It's, the system is 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 messed up. And, uh, you know, you see that everywhere. You see that, you see that here in the Bay Area, everywhere you look. Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing is I think the UBI in some form of wealth to go back to people, I'm not attached to it being... Uh, to it being uh, attached to, uh, you know, just a cash payout. The main thing is I find jobs guarantee to be a not necessarily punitive stipulation. I find it to be likely inefficient. How are you going to find the right jobs that the market isn't delivering that you're going to find out to deliver that aren't just going to be a waste of their time? I think and that have to be cyclical. No, that's a valid criticism. That's a valid criticism. I, I think it's going to be a waste of their time. I mean, it's... I don't think it'll be a waste of time. I mean, if you, if you think of something like, you know, the New Deal-type programs... Those weren't a waste of time. Well, I mean, I think if you find things that are actually the more luxuriously non-market they are, if you say, here's, you know, something we're almost going to build but not, I'd say, it's like, why bother? If you say, here's a mural that just 100% no one's going to pay for, make it, that's pretty cool. I'd say if you get a lot of people doing arts and crafts or something... Uh, and yeah, it, it, you get some cool stuff in the end that no one's going to pay for. And exactly, and I, I like, I think that would be great. 
and it would be more than just like crappy murals it would be like who knows you might get some like good plays out of it some good poetry some I mean, but I guess if you look at this kind of stimulus, you get, you get like one Hoover Dam. Then as time goes on, you get all, like all these extra dams no one needs. It's like we don't. But you could, I mean, come on, you could like repair existing stuff. I mean, there there's plenty of need out there. Well, I uh, think that should just be part of the general bottom line. The government should be maintaining yeah, but, its infrastructure in the first place. Okay, yes, that's yeah, that's true. <laughs> this isn't exactly like reach goals here, uh, but yeah, I mean, so what's the conclusion here? I think uh, I think UBI is. Uh, UBI, I, I think it's morally, it's I me. morally imperative. I think the technical parts is is fraught with possible uh, hurdles that people will run straight into. Uh, I think that a lot of people I just don't trust are getting behind it. And uh, like, like who specifically? Uh, I mean, like uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 worrisome. Uh, but yeah, I mean the I think that. Everyone who's saying that they worry it's commodifying what are just general things that people need, uh, that's that's good. I think just basically people should give you more of these things. So, I mean, if you got a UBI to, to bake bread, would you ba- would you bake bread or would you, like, make more money? Probably by... not because I'd make more money not baking bread. But wait, what can you buy if you can't buy time to bake more bread? Would you get bored baking bread all day or do you think you'd actually find... I would... No, no, no. I, I Like, I would work whatever job I'm working... I'd make bread when I had the time, and then I would use my UBI money to buy a really fancy cutting board. Like, mm. like you can get ones that are like 900 bucks. They're really fancy. So you're saying that capital equipment for your kitchen is more important than time spent in the kitchen? Yes. Okay. That's 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 the uh, from the people who know bread, what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, this has been the Henry George Program. We've been talking about UBI and the jobs guarantee for quite a while. Uh, this is Mark Molino, joined by... Kator. That's correct. You can check out previous episodes at seethecat.org. This is a presentation of Casey Shoe Stanford.